0: Today, on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick.
1: Real love is calling, One of the things that should happen in the life of a believer when you are constantly aware of the imminent return of Jesus is that it should motivate us to holy living. We should be always mindful of the fact that the Lord could return at any moment. That trumpet blast in the clouds could occur at any moment. And so we can't be living for ourselves.
0: This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 2 Peter. Sometimes it's easy to forget the reasons for living a godly life by putting others first and obeying the Bible. It's so much more fun to live for yourself. In today's message, Pastor Gary will remind you that the Lord can return at any moment and you need to be living your life for Him instead of gratifying your own desires. Throughout this chapter, the Apostle Peter is encouraging believers to live godly lives in anticipation of the return of Jesus Christ. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 2 Peter Chapter 2 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection.
1: got to be living as believers who are wise about these things and discerning about these things, because the closer we get to the return of Christ, Jesus tells us in Matthew 24 that one of the signs of the end times will be false teachers and false Christs. And we can't just accept everything that everybody says. So we have to be wise and discerning. We have to know scriptures ourselves to know whether or not what we're hearing is truth or not. So be equipped in that way. Now he goes on and he says in verse 18 For when they speak, these false teachers, great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lusts of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also. He is brought into bondage. For, verse 20, if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. Now, this is interesting because, you know, he's talking here about people who are going to be deceived he says, if, if they've escaped the pollutions of the world because they've come to the knowledge of the, of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, but then they get entangled again and overcome because these false teachers are influencing them with false things, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. In other words, it would be better never to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and turned your backs on it. And he's going to go on then to say in verse 21 that very thing, for it would... It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. Do you see that? So, you know, in a sense, what God is saying here is that he has, and I'm not sure I understand all this, okay, So I don't know if I can adequately explain it, but just at face value, what this passage is saying here is that God has more grace for ignorance than for disobedience. There is some measure of God's grace for those who have never known than for those who have known and turned their backs on it. There's more grace for ignorance than for disobedience. Now, ignorance still may not be an excuse... In fact, you you look at the first few chapters of the book of Romans and it talks about how God has made himself evident in uh, creation, commandments, and conscience so that men are without excuse. So all I'm saying is that when he says here, it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn away from the holy commandment delivered to them that there seems to be greater grace for ignorance than for disobedience. And he says in verse 22, but it has happened to them, according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit. We know that to be true, right? If you've ever had a dog, you know how that works? I guess it's better the second time around. I don't know. I don't understand that, but every dog does it. And, and it's the nature of a dog to return to its vomit and a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. So basically what he's saying here is the appetite is determined by the nature, you know, a, a dog's appetite is determined by its nature. A dog does what a dog does. A, a sow or a, or a pig does what a pig does. It, it returns to the mud. It's their nature. They have an appetite for this thing because it's their nature. So he says, you know, for people who are not born again, they're going to do things that are, you know, the appetites of their nature. For us, who are born again, who know Christ as our Savior, we have been given a new nature. And with that new nature come new appetites so don't return to the old ways you have a new nature that christ has given you so don't live like a dog don't live like a pig don't go back to the old ways you have a new nature given by the lord so walk in that and live for his glory chapter three beloved i now write to you this second epistle in both of which i stir up your pure minds by way of reminder that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, that's a euphemism for death, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Now, just pause there for a moment. He's going to transition now away from primarily talking about false teachers and false prophets to talking about what's going to happen as we get closer to the return of Christ. And and he wants to leave this as his parting hope for the church, because remember, uh, Peter's going to be martyred shortly after he writes this epistle. He's living in one of the most dangerous times in Christian history, 64 to 67 A.D., when Emperor Nero was persecuting Christians, killing them, martyring them, and Peter is going to uh, lose his life in just another year or two after he writes his epistle. So his parting words. I want you to think, you know, it's like the, it's like the final counsels of a dying man. You know, if you knew that you were near death, and Peter does, because he, he alludes to the fact that he knows death is imminent. I mean, we know that intellectually, but he knows this, you know, spiritually as well. If you knew that that your death was imminent, what would be some of the most important things you would want to impart to people that you love? Some of the things that you would want to say to them. So I always consider, you know, when Paul wrote 2 Timothy, that was his final counsel of a dying man. When Peter here writes 2 Peter, these are his final counsels of a dying man. And I, you know, I know we should never take scripture you know, more important or less important because it's all God's word. But there's just something about somebody who knows my death is imminent. These are the last things I want to say as I depart here that I just think are important for us to take to heart. And as he speaks here about the Lord's return, he says, listen, there's going to be scoffers. And we know this to be true today, too. there are going to be people who just simply scoff at the idea that Jesus is coming again. When Jesus was being crucified, the Bible says there were scoffers, there were mockers. There were people who hurled insults at him as he hung on a cross. And likewise, there are people even in our generation who scoff at the idea that Jesus is going to come again. They mock Christianity. They, they are haters. Okay, we get it. We know it's out there. And Peter says, even in his day, scoffers are going to come. And they're going to say, where's, where's this coming that, that Jesus promised? You know, how long has it been? Well, this is about 64 A.D. Jesus, Jesus died about 32 A.D. So it's, it's been about 32 years. And people are, people are going around saying, you know, where, where is this? He promised he was coming again. What, when's he coming again here? And so he goes on in verse 5 and he says, For they will willfully forget that by the word of God the heavens were of old. Notice, word, the word of God. Notice that. The heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water by which the world that that then existed perished, being flooded with water. Okay, so he's referring to the flood and he's basically saying, this is a reference to the flood, reminds us that, that we live in a moral universe and sin will not be tolerated forever. So Peter's framing everything about the second coming of Christ. He says, listen, listen, he's coming again. He's going to deal with sin. We live in a moral universe, and he won't tolerate sin forever. But, verse 7, but the heavens and the earth, which were now preserved by the same word, there's that word again, word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. So, you know, he's, again, he's talking here about the second coming of Christ, the Lord's going to return again. One of the things here, I've got just four quick points about what he says concerning the Lord's return. Number one is that it will happen as God promised. He says, Look, like God is not slow in keeping his promises. He says, in, uh, keep reading verse 8, he says, But beloved, do not forget this one thing that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years. And a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow or slack concerning his promise as some count slackness, but is long-suffering or patient towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's the heart of God. He doesn't want any, not a single soul to perish. He wants all to come to repentance. Now, unfortunately, not all will come. Because one of the things that God has given us is free will to accept him or to reject him. His heart is that all would accept him. He doesn't want any to reject him. He wants all to come to repentance, to turn from their sin and turn towards God. Unfortunately, not everybody will. But that is a reflection of the heart of God. He doesn't want any to perish. That's why he gave his only son, Jesus, to die on a cross. He wants everybody to be saved. It breaks the heart of God that there are people who will reject him, just as there were in the day of Noah and the flood. And as a result, they suffered judgment and consequences for it. But his heart is that everybody would get saved. Everybody would repent. Everybody would turn to him. And he's patient. This is important for us to understand. It says, but is long-suffering toward us. That's the end of, of verse 9. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. His patience. The reason why God has delayed His second coming is because He's being patient; He wants as many people to get saved. Now I know, then people can start to play a head game and say, "But in the time that God is waiting for people to get saved, other people are rejecting Him and they're going to perish." Okay, but God's going to sort all that out. All I know is, if God had come, say, 20 years ago, some of you wouldn't have even been saved. How many of you got saved in the last 20 years? Let me see your hands. Okay, are you are you thankful for God's patience? Are you thankful He didn't come 21 years ago? Right. Because that means that he was waiting for more and more people to come into relationship with him. And he's faithful to his promise. Peter reminds us here that with the Lord, one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Now, a lot of people have looked at that. And made a prophetic litmus test out of that verse, which I think is dangerous to do. So they're, they're basically saying, so, you know, it's been about 6,000 years since the beginning of human history. And that means God has only really been gone about six days because a day is like a thousand years. And then people start to calculate when he's going to return and, and all this kind of stuff. All Peter is saying here is God is not restricted by time and space. He's outside of it. He was, he is, and he always shall be. He identifies himself in the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3 with Moses as the I am. He is the I am. It is a Hebrew word that now translates as the formal name of God, Yahweh, that simply means the ever existing one. The one who was, and is, and always shall be. He's not restricted by time. Time does not limit God. And and God is not operating on, uh, you know, in the same parameters that, that we are. And so God, in His perfect timing, does all things perfectly. And so we can trust Him. We can wait upon Him. It might seem slow to us, but God is patient toward us. Not wanting any to perish. But that all should come to repentance. Verse 10 But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. In the margin of my Bible, I have written here that is the real global warming, okay? That's the real global warming, friends. And I've confessed this before, I'm, you know, I'm not one of these go green people, I hate to recycle, I think it's an infringement on my rights, if I want to throw a Coke bottle in the trash, I should be able to throw a Coke bottle in the trash without having to recycle it. Now, people get wigged out when I say stuff like that, they're like, Pastor G, this is God's earth, we should take care of it. Yeah, I agree, but throwing a Coke bottle in one bin versus another is not going to save the planet. Get over the planet, because it's going to burn, it's going to incinerate, this whole thing is going up in smoke. Anyway, that's real global warming. But what I want to point out here, and recycle if you want to recycle, and go green if you want to go green. I'm, you know, I'm, God bless you. I'm all for you doing that. I just don't like to do it. But what he's saying here is the Lord's return will come unexpectedly. That's what he means by like a thief in a night. Now, I remember as a kid, you know, reading this verse when I first got saved and thinking to myself, why would Peter use an analogy of something that's pretty terrifying, like a thief breaking into your house in the middle of the night, To compare that with the return of christ all he's saying is just like a thief breaking into a house is an unexpected thing it's just unexpected it's going to be a glorious day but it's going to be an unexpected day you know in in the gospels jesus talks about how you know it would be just like in the days of noah people will be eating and drinking marrying and being given in marriage and just like the people in noah's day even though the sign of the time was there, kind of like this huge ark in Noah's backyard, all right? They did not know what was coming upon them until it was too late. So it is with our world today. The Lord is coming again, there are signs of the times, and people will still not expect it, even though the evidence is before them. And so, he's going to come unexpectedly, like a thief in the night, and And then it tells us further, verse 11, "...therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be?" And he answers it, "...in holy conduct and godliness." We'll come back to that later. Verse 12, "...looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved." Here he is again talking about this, "...being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat." Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So Peter tells us something else, number three, that the Lord's return will be followed by the destruction and replacement of the current heaven and earth with a new heaven and earth. Now, the book of Revelation tells us this as well, and so Peter's not unique in this. But what it tells us is that part of the second coming of Christ after the Lord returns And then there's the thousand-year, his millennial reign on earth. At the end of that millennial reign, the present earth is going to be completely destroyed. And the present heavens will be done away with. There will be new heavens and a new earth. And we will be with the Lord forever on the new earth. In Revelation, when John sees a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven that then situates itself on earth, it's literally heaven colliding with earth— And that is the eternal abode for all the believers. The present earth is going to be dissolved. It's going to melt. The heavens are are going to be dissolved. They're going to melt. And God is creating a new heaven and a new earth. Now, I've gotten this question before. So in case any of you are ahead of me, let me just give you the answer. Some people have said, okay, wait a minute. There's a present earth and we're on that present earth. Then there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth where we're going to end up going to because this present earth is going to be dissolved Where do we go in the meantime between when the... Just don't let your head hurt over that, friends. Don't let your head hurt. God's going to suspend you long enough to get you from one planet to the next. It's going to be fine. But the Bible tells us that what we know now, presently as earth and presently as the heavens, will be destroyed. It's like a complete do-over. And in that new day, there will be... Not just, you know, a new heaven and a new earth, but it will be a new day for us spending eternity with the Lord. And, you know, I'm thinking right now of Charles Spurgeon because Spurgeon once told his students, when you speak of heaven, let your face light up. So I'm trying to, I want to make sure my face is lit up because I'm thinking about heaven. But Spurgeon said, when you talk about hell, just your regular face will do. But this is an exciting time. For us to think about living in a new heaven and a new earth with the Lord forever and ever. And so this present earth, present heaven, will be destroyed and replaced with a new heaven and a new earth. Verse 14. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found in him in peace, without spot and blameless. And so this is the last one, number four on our list. The Lord's return will be a motivation for us to live holy and godly lives. This is what verse 14 says. This is what verse 11 set up earlier when, he, when it tells us that he's long-suffering toward us. Uh, sorry, not that, verse 11. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be? He answers it in the question, in holy conduct and godliness. And then he says the similar thing in verse 14. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found in him in peace without spot. And blameless. One of the things that should happen in the life of a believer when you are constantly aware of the imminent return of Jesus is that it should motivate us to holy living. We should be always mindful of the fact that the Lord could return at any moment. That trumpet blast in the clouds could occur at any moment. And so we can't be living for ourselves and however we want and gratifying the lust of our flesh we have to be living for the lord glorifying the lord living according to the spirit not gratifying the desires of the sinful nature and being ready for his imminent return being ready that we might be found in him in peace without spot and blameless verse 15 and consider that the long suffering of our lord the patience of god is salvation that's what we said a moment ago as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you. I like what Peter says here about Paul. Peter, Paul, where, where's Mary in this story? But anyway, that's Peter, Paul, and Mary. She got it over there. Thank you, Lynn. You got my joke. All right, anyway. But I like what he says here about Paul. He says, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in all his epistles, speaking speaking in them of these things in which are some things hard to understand. Peter's saying, you know that stuff that Paul writes? He writes similarly. It's just a little hard to understand what he says sometimes. Which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction as they do also the rest of Scriptures. You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware, lest you also fall from your own steadfastness being led away with the error of the wicked that word there fall he says lest you also fall it's the greek word ekpipto it's the same word used in galatians 5 verse 4 where paul warns about those who have fallen away from the faith and so he he calls us here to be steadfast in our faith that we would not fall that we would not stumble so that we would not be led away with the error of the wicked, but, verse 18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. And everybody said, amen. Oh, and, up and,
0: up. You jump in and you'll find the your connection run towards your new. That's all for today's message in 2 Peter on Cornerstone Connection. We're glad we had the chance to open the Word with you, and we pray it's been a blessing to you. Pastor Gary has more to share from this New Testament letter, but for now you can explore his teachings on our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. You'll find a list of messages available there, and feel free to download and share them. We have a mobile app as well, and you'll find a link to be able to download online too. This is a convenient way to take the word with you on the go and a great way to fill the pauses in your day. Do you live in the Leesburg area? If so, we want to meet you. You're invited to join us this weekend at Cornerstone Chapel for a time of worship, fellowship and studying the Bible with Pastor Gary. Our services start at 8:30, 10 and 11:45 a.m. each Sunday. And please feel free to bring your whole family. We have child care available during all of our services. You'll find all the information you need about the church on our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. If you aren't nearby or you can't make it in for one of our services, you can still join us virtually. We live stream each gathering on our website. With that, our time with you has come to a close. Thanks for tuning in and we hope you'll join us next time to continue studying through the book of 2 Peter right here on Cornerstone Connection.
1: They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know